0: Pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from First Kings in the 19th chapter. We'll hear this morning the opening 10 verses from that chapter. And this is a, a snippet from the, the uh, ministry of a great prophet by the name of Elijah in a time when, well, things weren't going so great for the great prophet. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. And Ahab, the king, told, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah, the prophet, had done. Also, how he had executed All of the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel, sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the prophets whom he had killed, by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, Which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Here ends this reading from God's Holy Word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Philippians in the first chapter, beginning at verse 21 and continuing through verse 30. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For to me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, And I don't know which I prefer. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, with all of you for your progress and joy in faith so I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. In these verses from the opening chapter of his letter to the Philippians, it sounds as if the Apostle Paul may have had it up to about here. We don't know what the particular trigger was, but we do know that in his mind, he'd be better off dead. Well, at least it would be easier on him, easier than whatever trials he was enduring this particular morning. In our men's Bible study and prayer breakfast this past Friday morning, we were reading through the first half of the fourth chapter of Lamentations in the aftermath of the destruction of Jerusalem by the besieging Babylonians and the removal of exile or removal to exile of the most important and influential of her officials and citizens, those who were left behind found themselves in what would have amounted to a post-apocalyptic wasteland Things for them were bad, very bad. In the ninth verse, the author writes of them, Happier were those pierced by the sword than those pierced by hunger, whose life drains away deprived of the produce of the field. In other words, the dead were better off than those who had survived. There is no longer any striving or suffering for those who have already perished, but such is not the case for those who have, up until now at least, been spared. So it's not just Paul who has found himself in situations of distress or discomfort. Indeed, I would venture to guess that there are even some, or more than some, here this morning. Or perhaps listening to this broadcast later on, who have, at one time or another in their lives, found themselves wondering if it was all worth the efforts. As we read this letter from Paul, we can see the manner in which he constructively comes to grip with this conundrum. The manner in which he does may provide some aid to those of us who at one time or another find ourselves dealing with a similar ethical dilemma. As a follower of Christ, Paul shows evidence of learning from the example of the Master. The way forward for the Apostle involves the subjugation of the self. Paul allows himself to get out of himself, and that is a hallmark of Christ, and just the sort of thing that he commands and commends his disciples. Even a most logical creature would recognize that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. The Spirit reminds Paul of this as he acknowledges that there is much work for him remaining to do on behalf of others. There are many who need that spiritual food, which Paul has been providing them, both as he is there in person and from afar. I think one of the important things that we might take from this morning's epistle text is that as Christians, each and every one of us has had a call placed upon us to minister to others. What that ministry looks like is unique to the individual, and it varies for every one of us. But universally, we are all called to service in Christ's name. Paul serves as an example of one who is faithful in responding to that call, even in those moments when he's wondering aloud whether he wants to or whether he would rather not continue to do so any longer. Once we have accepted the invitation to follow our Master, we are henceforth in His service. Were the covenant conditional, then perhaps we would have a say in what kind of a schedule we wanted to be on. But it isn't, and we don't. As I believe Paul understood quite well, it's not only a privilege to be in service to the Savior but it is also a burden. The example we have in the life of Christ bears witness to this. Immediately after his baptism, inaugurating his public ministry, the tempter took him aside and tried to dissuade him from his vocation, doing so by offering him an easier way than the way of self-denial and obedience to the Father, a way which would ultimately lead to trial, suffering, and a gruesome and tortuous death. And this, Paul beautifully communicates to the church in the 29th verse, this relationship that we now have with our God. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Well, This may not be the most perfect of marketing campaigns for the faith, but it is a foundational truth of it. The one whom we serve was himself a suffering servant, and we who are now joined with Him, we are joined in His sufferings. His triumphs too, yes, of course, but also His sufferings, lest we forget. That's what comes with our care for the world, after all. If we didn't care about anything other than self, we wouldn't suffer over anything other than our own little miseries. If Jesus had listened to those temptations in the wilderness, or in the garden, or at the cross, and cared only for himself, it would have gone better for him, but much, much worse for us. Our faith, then, is built around this notion of service in and to the world as agents of the one who has overcome the world. Frankly, it would be easier not to be. And perhaps that's, at least in part, why there are fewer self-identified Christians in this generation than in the last several, because folks are wrapped up in all manner of therapeutic self-care routines. Paul here shows the wisdom of understanding that is precisely in giving of ourselves that we derive benefits, that we gain riches, those which do not accrue when just taking for ourselves. The work to which Jesus was committed and to which we are commissioned is the healing of the nations. And it is there simultaneously that we will find healing and peace for our own restless and hurting souls. Albert Schweitzer once observed, if affirmation for life is genuine, it will demand from all that they should sacrifice a portion of their own life for others. Schweitzer had been a a PK, a pastor's kid, and earned doctoral degrees in theology and in philosophy, in addition to being an extremely accomplished organist. Yet, soon thereafter, he announced his intention to become a mission doctor in order to devote himself to philanthropic work. In 1913, he became a doctor of medicine, and he left the relative comfort of Europe for Gabon in what was then French Equatorial Africa. There he built a hospital and a leper colony, which he equipped and maintained from his income, later supplemented by gifts from individuals and foundations in many countries. Leslie Newbigin said, the gospel is communication of news to those who do not know it, and we only really understand it as we are involved in so communicating it. And he committed himself to more fully understanding it as he set about communicating it in word and in deed. After having graduated from Cambridge, he moved to Glasgow to study and work with the student Christian movement. And then he returned to Cambridge two years later, training for the ministry at Westminster College In July 1936, he was ordained by the Presbytery of Edinburgh to work as a Church of Scotland missionary at the Madras Mission, and it was in India that he remained for nearly 40 years with a six-year sabbatical as an administrator with what would become the World Council of Churches in Switzerland. Upon his return to England, he continued to serve as a missionary to his inner city neighbors there. Mother Teresa, in her book, No Greater Love, wrote, Do not think that love, in order to be genuine, has to be extraordinary. What we need is to love without getting tired. Like Schweitzer and Newbigin, she too also served her fellow man in the third world, having traveled from Europe, where she had been born and raised, eventually establishing the Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta, There, she faithfully lived and loved the people in Jesus' name for decades when not traveling internationally for a variety of humanitarian missions. These three 20th century servants of Christ all lived long, full lives and were, like Paul, willing to endure hardships in service to others along the way, placing the good of their neighbors first. We all not need be an Albert Schweitzer, nor a Leslie Newbigin, nor a Mother Teresa, though the world could certainly benefit from more such folks as these. But the life of the Christian involves our willingness to surrender some degree of our comfort while tending to the needs of the other. And I just saw this week, maybe you saw it too, that Jimmy Carter approaching now his 99th birthday, had participated in a hometown parade in Plains, Georgia. Still going at nearly 100, he traded a desk in the Oval Office at the White House for a hammer and a tool belt at Habitat for Humanity. In his 60s at the time, Paul was tempted to throw in the towel It would have been easier for him to just lay down and rest from his labors, to be free of the burdens and the cares and the trials of this life, to look at all that he had done up to this point and say, you know what, I've been at this now for, well, quite some time, and I think I have put in my time, I've done my part, I'm ready for my promised reward. And then, right after such a thought, he addresses the central question of this morning's text. Whose life is it anyway? He recognizes that as a follower of the way of Christ, even his own life is not his own. Paul did not create Paul. Paul did not redeem Paul. He wasn't saved from the wages of sin by himself. And Paul does not sustain himself. And this is true for any and all, including you and I. Whether we know it or admit it, we are simply not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ. So yes, it may seem that the grass is greener over yonder hills across the Jordan, and it very well may turn out to be the case. I kind of hope so. But we'll get there when we get there. That timing is not for us to decide, for it's not our life after all. But until that great getting up morning, there is work to be done In this world, to the glory of God, it may be inconvenient, it may be difficult, it may be dirty, it may be unpleasant sometimes, but Jesus, who himself was born in a stable between animals and died on a cross between criminals, showed that being a blessing to the world and those who dwell in it can and often does, entail blood, sweat, and tears, that we who are formed from the dust of the earth are called every so often to get our hands dirty again as we stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And for that we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen. Amen.